Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer. This week on More to Come, the fall graphic novel announcements compiled by Heidi. Um, Boom Studios buys Arkea. Kim Thompson, superlative editor, um, co-publisher of Graphics, uh, rest in peace, and uh, Man of Steel. So, first, uh, Heidi put together, uh, uh, as she does for um, two seasons every year, the, the uh, graphic novel announcements this time for the fall and what's in store yeah. for readers, comics readers that come in this fall. Yeah, and uh, you know, I feel like this season is is full of uh, some very good books. Uh, maybe not as many apocal ones as, as sometimes. Uh, it seems like the publishing year is a little bit front-loaded now because of TCAF. It seems like, like so many Indian literary publishers put out their books in May uh, to tie in with TCAF and MOCA. Um, so, but some books were coming out in, 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 to tie in with the now defunct Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Fest, which was in November. So, um, I mean, word on the street is that there's a replacement show coming for that. So some of those, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, we have, uh, some, some standouts, uh, and this season. Top 10 as well. I, I do have a top 10 and, uh, which is a, a mix, a, definitely a mix of some, uh, some things that have been, uh, published before, like uh, March, of course, is a book we've been talking about uh, quite a bit um an original uh graphic novel uh for the avengers by warren ellis uh, let's see what we have the hip-hop family tree by ed pisker although that's a reprint of a webcomic um let's see original things uh women rubble the margaret sanger story by peter bag i think that's yeah. a little bit of a surprise that's coming out from drawing a quarterly in october I would not have thought that would have been his topic. Well, you know, he actually does his strips for reason, and he, he does a lot of nonfiction comics, so oh, doing a biography, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't have thought she would have been his usual topic. Uh, he's really a, a great cartoonist, and, and, you know, came around at the same time as Klaus and Hernandez and yes. Bros, and was often uh, was often spoken with uh, of in the same breath as oh, them, absolutely. and then he has sort of dropped out a little bit. So, uh, you know, Much I feel deserved. like we've seen some... Uh, re, uh, re, what's the word? Rediscovery. Uh, so of Peter Bag. So I think this book will get him a lot. Resurgence. We'll yes. Yeah. Uh, another book that's coming out. Actually, of all the publishers, I think the one that had the best line was Dark Horse. And we're going to have a, much more on this in uh, Publishers Weekly in a future issue. But they are really uh, pumping up their originals program this fall. They have a, a person publishing Smoke and Ashes by Alex DeCampi and a variety of artists, uh, which reprints Smoke, her Eisner mm-hmm. Award-nominated miniseries that came out at IDW a long time ago, uh, along with Ashes, uh, a controversial Kickstarter project that we talked about many times here, but but still, you know, it's, she's a very very good writer, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, a couple of web comics that they're collecting: Sin Tatulo by Cameron Stewart, which won the Eisner Award, and Bandette by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover, the also Eisner nominated, really really cute uh, monkey brain comic about a female um, uh, thief, and also uh, Bad House by Sarah oh, Ryan yes. and Carly yes. Speed McNeil, yeah. a very interesting book that. 
uh, was ah, published. So that's why in, she hasn't been doing it. Well, but what's interesting is that book was originally going to be coming out from Vertigo, and I know it's been in the works for like four or five years, uh, as those things move very mm. slowly. And uh, Vertigo has a lot of graphic novels that aren't actually coming that are out coming out from other publishers from other now. Publishers now. Yes. And uh, Bad House is one of them. We had a preview of this actually just a couple of weeks ago, and it looks absolutely amazing because Carla Speak McNeil is great. Uh, Sarah Ryan, a very respected. YA author, so um, it looks you know very very good. I mean, Dark Horse definitely. I'd say they're the ones who are kind of uh, picking up the pace, coming up yes. uh, the straights. Of course, Ron and Fantagraphics for a second. Um, you know, uh, everybody, the usual suspects have a lot of great books coming out. But so, keep your eye on Dark Horse. So if you will notice, there were male authors and characters in this list. We do pay attention to our listeners, and we have gotten complaints that. We don't like comics about men or by men because we're terribly prejudiced here. Who this said podcast. that? Who well, said that? I'm not that? on this podcast, so then, you know I can understand where people uh, might make that claim. But really, <laughs> where'd you where'd you hear this? Yes, commenters on your very own. Oh blog. well, you know what? If you pay attention to beat commenters, then you know that's. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess you have to bleep that out. But yes, um, bleep. I mean, I go through every once in a while and ban the worst offenders, but they still get through. So, uh, you know, I don't listen to I don't listen to well, my commenters. Another title on here, but I'm not going to go into great deal because we actually talked about this on a previous uh, podcast. But Blue Angel, Blue is the warmest color. Yes, uh, by Julian Moreau, uh, a major top ten. Uh, um, yes. So, uh, but you know, a great yeah. uh, a great list um, of some good stuff coming out uh, this fall, uh, really. And you know, there is definitely more to come. So. Uh, moving on, uh, an event that sort of shook up the uh, indie publishing uh, comics community. Uh, Boom Studios acquires Arkea. Right. Um, uh, from what we hear, uh, there aren't going to be any layoffs. The editor staying that's on. You, that would usually be a first in these kinds of things, but uh, hopefully we, we hope that's the case. Well, yeah. I mean, Calvin, you've been covering Arkea for a long time, so maybe you can kind of give some... Well, Context here. The, the, you know, the background on, on Arkea, and we, we, we kind of have been covering it really almost from the very beginning, but that it started uh, really as a self, self-publishing self effort by Mark Smiley, uh, the founder, and his high school buddy, what's Ike Lyle, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and basically two kids with a dream. Yeah. Um, you know, Mark was the artist, and the key was his buddy, and... Basically, they worked together. He was the business guy. He actually is, was a, 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 a technology entrepreneur who had a completely separate business. But, you know, he loves comics, and uh, they were good buddies. And they launched uh, a publishing house to publish Artesia. Which is Mark an Smiley's, awesome series, yes, by the way. Yeah. Um, but they slowly grew, really, to a formidable well, Mouse Guard. Mouse, Mouse Guard is what really put them on the on the on the map because I think they were publishing a lot of fantasy-based yes, comics, yes. and Mouse Guard by David Peterson is one of the most beautiful and then, comics. And, and, and then they got the licensing, licensing European comics, as well as uh, uh, before it's in essentially moving to LA. Uh, doing both originals and licensed properties, and teaming up with the Jim Henson. Yes, was one to do. Um, and their Henson it. books are gorgeous. Yes. Uh, and and what was the book that came out just recently? Um, a Tale of the, Sand. Tale of Sand, which won the Eisner. Yes, for yes. So, so so Arcade is really known for putting out uh, a bunch of great looking fantasy, science fiction based 
uh, very high quality. And unlike most comics publishers, they publish initially in hardcover. Right. They do not do serial. Much like and a traditional yeah, trade book. Many of the books that they put out, we have mentioned here over the years, A Cursed Pirate Girl. Oh, Remember when we were we, fighting we, we over it in the office? Over uh, there was one of my yeah. favorite books last year, Last the Immortals. Mm -hmm. um, however, behind the scenes, even though the books looked good, uh, they were having a lot of problems. Yes. And yeah. uh, basically, uh, it stemmed from uh, a couple years ago, they went with, uh, was it PGW, a uh, distributor, uh, to get into the book market. And, you know, a lot of times people put out books in the, the sheltered world of graphic novels. And here, Calvin and I talk about how great they are and think that they're going to sell thousands of copies. But, you know, I will say, I think these books could be marketed very effectively. Returns. But, returns are a killer. But they didn't get a lot of sales, and the returns were horrible and nearly killed Archaea. And since then, they've really been limping along. Now, Calvin, you had some conversations with them at BEA. They yeah, did not hint this was coming. They didn't coming. say anything about this. Their whole thing was that they were back on their feet. They had a new CEO. Uh, you know, PJ left. Um, they were had a full slate of uh, books coming out. And, I mean, essentially to me, it looked like Archaea as usual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had a bunch of books that looked really gorgeous. Um, and things were on schedule. Now, they, they gave me no hint that mm -hmm. this acquisition was in the, in the wind. Right. Um, and actually, since our initial story, they haven't given me too much information. Right. Too, too much so, more information. So, but anyway, now from the other side of the equation, you have Boom Studios, which is riding high on their Adventure Time comics. And uh, they also have Two Guns coming out. Finally, they have a movie based on one of their comics coming out. And uh, by all accounts, it looks pretty good. It's got Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'd watch that. There you go. Uh, and uh, so, so you know, a, a what looks like a pretty, pretty popular movie uh, coming out. So, got some film. Some they have some things in development, but not yeah. actually coming out with mm. Denzel and and yes, Mark yes, and Mark exactly in them. Right. So, I mean, I'd say that is you know a, a coup right there. Significant. Uh, so, Boom has been riding high. I do know that both these companies are kind of part of the. Uh, L.A. Comics Mafia. I mean, there's a lot of publishers in L.A. There's Arkea, there's Boom, there's Top Cow. Um, and uh, they're all buddies. You yeah. know, they all hang out a lot. They have, uh, you know, yeah. people go back and forth with the companies. So I, I had noticed, you know, just as, as I said, the podcast, I often say things that I wouldn't put in writing. But, uh, you know, I had noticed Ross Ritchie, the head of Boom, and Jack Cummins, the head of uh, Archaea hanging out a lot at cons this year. They were always in the bar together drinking. So a lot of times that is well, where this comes this comes from. And why uh, are we hanging bars, ladies? Yes, and exactly. So <laughs> um, you know maybe I should have been a little bit more. On the other hand, you know people in comics hang out in bars all the time, and all it means <laughs> is that they're planning a new comic. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, see, Kate, I I found over the years that where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times when you see people hanging out together all the time, it means that you know who's sitting at what table. I I've yeah. often noticed that before the announcement comes the celebratory drink. So, you know, you, you just have to keep your, your antenna up. But anyway, so really the announcement was made um, stressing the amount of IP that was came with this deal, which I think was kind of disingenuous in a way because Boom does mostly licensed comics and Archaea does create her own comics, although they do have a, you know, Hollywood-style participation deal yes, and yeah. all the stuff they do. So... And we're curious to see, I mean... Um from the information we got from them, it wasn't entirely clear uh, what role Mark Smiley, the, the yeah. founder, was, would be playing. He was mentioned very briefly in a release, but it, it did not make it clear 
nor have they responded to questions that I've put no. to them and, and about also, his role going forward. And just to be very clear about both these companies, both of them have a lot of uh, VC involved, venture mm, capital. Yes. And in fact, Boom has a venture capital partner who was mentioned in the release. Yes. Uh, yes. Who I wasn't that familiar with. And Arkea had uh, a couple of venture capital partners, yes. including now Jack Cummins. Um, you know, I, I think this deal is is what it is in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I think you had a struggling company and a company yeah. that was doing better, and uh, the the company that was in some doing ways better. Together, but, the most of the best. Of yes, both and worlds. I like I, I you know what? I'm really fond of all the books that yes. come out from both these publishers, yes, and I mean they they both have a very consistent yeah. um, quality of lines, and the people who work there, I, I like all yeah. of them very very much. So. I think it's a good fit because they. Most of their books fill rather different niches from each other, mm-hmm. but yet they're both of a similar mm-hmm. yes. quality level. And, I mean, I do think actually maybe there's something to the IP thing, because while it's creator-owned, they do have a participation deal, unlike most of Boom's right. licensed stuff. Yes. So now Boom has things in its library that, you know, do not come from other places. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta have a finger in some pie. That's how you make it in the world these days. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Arkea had that kind of deal. Boom has that kind of deal. I mean, I hope they do well. I, I, I am looking for, uh, I mean, I, I don't quite see how they're going to do better because I thought they were both doing, they were both carrying out their business plan very well, yeah. aside from the PGW disaster, yeah. so, which set them back quite a bit. So, But, you know, uh, Boom doesn't seem to have these problems distribution-wise, so. Yeah. So hopefully, we'll really, that. hopefully, two publishers that are doing great work, hopefully they can do even better work together. Yes, uh, and, exactly. And, and, you know, both of them stand that's, on a that's what solid we want to see. financial footing. All right. right. Great. Moving on to, to a very sad news, the passing of Kim Thompson, really probably one of the most significant editorial figures in contemporary comics. Uh, co-publisher of Fantagraphics. Uh, extraordinary editor, um, uh, probably one of the industry's finest translators of French lang- language co- uh, comics, uh, passed away from lung cancer. Um, and yes, and uh, you know the industry's a little bit stunned by this. I mean, you know, we lost Dylan Williams about uh, yeah, eighteen months yeah. ago, and he was another indie person who you just couldn't be replaced. I mean, people don't stay in indie comics for the glory or the money. Oh, so, the money so I mean, the people who really move the needle, like a Dylan and a Kim, are real personalities. And, you know, Kim really, uh, without him, French comics in the United States would have had a very different trajectory. And I think right now, he was the guy at Fantagraphics who brought over books like Uli Lust, The Last Day of Her Life. And he's been bringing over the Tardy books. Yes. Jason, he discovered yes. Jason. I mean, I'm not even talking about editing, you know, Chris Ware, Peter yes. Bag, yes. uh, Joe Sacco. I mean, he also so discovered, he discovered great. Joe Sacco. I mean, for that yeah. alone, you know, yeah. you, you have to give the guy immense props. So, I mean, it's personally very sad. He was an integral part of Fantagraphics uh, business, you know, performance. Uh, and really, it, the saddest thing of all is if you go to the Tardy page for Infantagraphics catalog, it says all the books are on hold now. And I mean, Kim was a great translator. He was born in Denmark. Mm-hmm. He spoke French fluently. He spoke mm-hmm. Danish. Uh, you know, he was conversant in five other languages, including German. And, uh, you know, he was a great translator. I mean, if you read, I've read some other books that just don't have his, his panache or, uh, I mean, he they also had the snap. No, I mean, he worked at some of the Milo Minara stuff also oh, for yeah. Dark Horse. I mean, he just, he was, he was everywhere. He was ubiquitous. And, you know, now 
there's just no one who can replace him. I mean, he is an absolutely irreplaceable figure. Um, I don't know anyone else who has the same level of taste and linguistic ability and publishing know-how to bring over these books. So, I mean, it might be that, unfortunately, with him gone, I mean, things like the Tardy books or some of these other great foreign books that Fredergrass have been publishing uh, will not be discovered as quickly, so, and that's yeah. a real shame. So let it be known that if you are some translation major in some college out there who loves comics, now's your chance yeah yeah well i mean here's your chance to, but you have to prove your knowledge well, which kim, kim did over a 30-year period yes, and uh, you know i mean i knew kim for quite a while he i worked with him on amazing heroes way back in the day and you know he's one of the people who gave me my start and um you know we had our squabbles you you, you didn't ever want to argue with kim um you know, Kim Thompson and Gary Groth of Fantagraphics both have this reputation as uh, savage, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> debaters, and they were. Um, and, uh, you know, Kim was a familiar figure in his short shorts and taped up glasses and brown socks and running shoes. I mean, it didn't matter Kim if... It, nerds. He, yeah, I mean, it didn't matter if you were having dinner with Harvey Kurtzman and Will Eisner. That's what uh, Kim would be wearing. So, you know, he marched to his own drummer, but uh, after he got married, he... Cleaned up his act a little bit. It's like wives really have this universal they ability to make their men wear pants. Yes. It's like a thing that they do. Yeah. Uh, they, but they basically save civilization. Yes, pretty much. Um, so, uh, but well, you know, very sad. Very, well, very sad. Kim, yeah, really, fanographs in general was well, they were always very generous and uh, and or uh, how do I say it? Sort of, um, they were very generous to me. But very early on in. in uh, Trying to get comics started here at PW. I mean, Fantagraphics um, was one of the, the uh, houses that I immediately wanted to uh, be in contact with to get their books. So um, you know, they they've always uh, they've always been uh, embraced me with a combination of of amusement and, and amusement at whatever it is I thought I was doing, but also very encouraging and also uh, very helpful to me as someone that was starting out early on and trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do in comics anyway. So uh, just his passing is just a great loss. And just, um, I mean, the man really helped uh, shape what we think of independent comics today. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he was one of a kind. And I mean, he has a real true legacy that uh, no one no one could have, only Kim could have done what Kim did. He was, he, you know, they say no one's irreplaceable. Kim was irreplaceable. Yeah. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna reluctantly move on uh, to a topic that might burn out the rest of this podcast. And here, just just as a preview, yeah. the sounds that you're hearing are Kyle Baker's Mass Murderer of Steel, which is the sounds of fisticuffs, which is what you might be hearing here. In a the combination next of game and review, actually, <laughs> of yes. Man of Steel. Yes. So let's get right to it. Wow. I, I, the, the last time we talked about Man of Steel, Heidi had only seen yes. it, but the, but. The, your, your other the rest two, of us our, have. Yes, the other two members here, we've seen it. So, uh, very quickly, I'll say, you know what? Um, when I wasn't liking it, uh, I was hating it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, I'm torn in that way. But I will say, overall, uh, I, I will say I enjoyed it. But really, uh, it really has some of the worst dialogue ever. Uh, it's uh, seconded. Uh, and yet, I thought um, some of the flashback scenes to Smallville, in particular, yes, we're, we're fighting, were some of the best That's scenes enough. of the movie. <laughs> the, the, the scenes in Smallville, uh, and even the, his vagabond years, I, I really thought they were really well done. Um, that part I really got into, and I, and I don't mind a darker Superman, because, uh, you know, I'm a little tired of the Boy Scout anyway. Well... 
what I thought was particularly dark was not Superman himself, but the movie. I mean, I, after the introductory Krypton sequence, where all I was smiling at was the prettiness, um, I literally did not smile once during this movie, except for at things that weren't going on on screen, that is to say, the jokes my friend was making. Mm -hmm. Um, There was no humor in this movie. There actually were seven humans, <laughs> and none of them were particularly no, no, funny. There were a couple at the end, but they weren't funny. They weren't sure. all that funny, no. No, no, but, no, no. but there were seven of them, I counted, and I know which each one of them was. Well, I saw it two nights in a row, so I think I know exactly which ones you're talking about. Oh, I'm about, sure you right? do. There were few enough especially, of them. Especially one of them that people laughed at is, uh, you know, spoilers, uh, when uh, the Kent's house has been destroyed and uh, Ma Kent is walking through it, and... And Clark Kent walks in and says, Mom? And, like, for some reason, everybody laughed at that. <laughs> I, think, I think the actual joke was when she was, like, nice suit when she saw the yeah. Superman costume. But that was literally the funniest line in the movie. So yeah. funny, I forgot to laugh. Um, but, I mean, I'm not comparing this to comedies. I'm comparing this yeah. to Batman movies by Christopher Nolan. Those are laugh a minute compared to yeah, this. that's true. I mean... You, I'm not saying it was a bad movie. It's just that one typically goes to a superhero movie to feel entertained, or at least somewhat triumphant. But I, and I think pretty much everybody came out of this movie not going, yeah, or at least go Superman, and more like, eh. It was, it was very much a well, downer. You can't, broad, you can't over, you know, I don't, well, you I'm can over-generalize, uh, because a lot of people really like this movie. I'm not movie, saying they didn't like it. it. No, they weren't entertained by it. I mean, I was entertained by it. Well, what I'm not saying that people weren't entered. I'm saying that people were not in any way in a uplifted. People in a positive they weren't. Mood. They weren't when it you walk out and you're like, you know, "Yeah, Iron Man." Yeah, you know, like well, no yeah, one was like. That, but, incidentally, but that's your opinion. Sure. Well, I mean, this was what I got from watching yeah. people walk out of the theater yeah. in my experience. Incidentally, uh, the they were cheering in my, when I saw it. I mean, I wasn't, but I'm not saying and I enjoyed it. But people were cheering at the end of the movie when it. <laughs> okay, in your theater they yes, were cheering. They were cheering. I cheering. did not hear any cheering. I heard okay. zero cheering. All right. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, more on that. Um, incidentally, um, well, was, I wasn't cheering. I will say that. Well, it was PG thirteen. Um, it's interesting to note that at Toys R Us, all the toys are on deep, deep discount, or at least they were when I. Ah, oh, it's fascinating. I should go take a picture of that. I do have a picture do of that. Actually, you got to You should. What did you guys think of the villains? I was unimpressed. I loved Sayara. I thought she was awesome. She was so cool. She was like, for finally, there was a female badass that didn't have any. Like, she didn't have to just fight the girls. She was fighting all the guys and whipping their ass. And she was so. I I don't know. I thought she was no shortage of fights. And mean, look, it's a superhero movie. I want fights too. But I I want more. I I really sort of. It was never ending. Well, not only that, I felt like. Like, I had heard people talking about, like, the level of destruction and death of the innocent civilians and stuff. And when I heard it, I was like, eh, it's a superhero movie. Eh, whatever. I saw Avengers. I went to see it, and I really felt like the director was like, yeah, squash those people. Yes, I mean, it was like 70s disaster movie (laughs) level of, like, screaming, fleeing, getting squished. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And, like, I gotta say... I mean, I'm hardly one to second-guess superheroes attempting to save the world, but, you know, in the in a, a climactic fight scene, I was like, Superman, why don't you take this elsewhere? Like, take this outside, man, instead of, like, Superman was knocking over, like, 
buildings full of people in them. Well, first off, you know, I, I, I mean, I think I mentioned this after I saw it. I mean, I, I, I was repulsed by the uh, destruction porn as well. Um, but I, I mean, I thought that this film was fitting in very much with the whole video game, uh, you know, effication of movies. I mean, people just want to see this stuff, and I thought it looked great. I mean, this is really the basis of my positive. Yeah, the basis of my positive review was that I really thought Zack Snyder is a great visual director, and I mean, that scene. There are scenes of Superman flying. I thought were so well done with the, the you know, he used the shaky cam. Awesome. He yeah. used like out of focus. He used all these these tricks. I, I, I mean, I will say, I understand everything you guys are saying um, about the script being bad or, you know, poor, well, lack of humor. Not a bad yes, idea. yes. It was uh, I, will, I will say. Dialogue. That, the dialogue. Oh, awful. Oh, yeah, it was. Awful. It was. But I didn't feel it was that different than a Batman movie. I'm no, not a well, huge fan of the Batman films. Well, no, okay, here's one thing. One, I will say that the Batman movies were better written than this. Yes. Well, the last Batman movie was. Well, go on. Was well, written I, about the same, was, I think. It was yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, I, I managed to get the last one a skip, for which I yeah. am happy. But, um, I, I mean, I feel like, one, Batman movies were better written. But, two, I mean, Superman's not Batman. Like, some plot types and writing types do not map equally onto every character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with the Batman movies, at least you got a strong sense of who he was. Uh-huh. Whereas in this movie, I came away with it with... Superman's a nice guy who doesn't want Earth to be destroyed, and also he hits things. That is the sum total of his characterization I came away with. I felt like there was more characterization. And he's super hot. Come on, you forgot that. <laughs> that hot is not a personality Yes, trait. it is. Okay, then three, you know, still. I felt there was more, literally. Remember when he, he fixed Lois's stomach well, problem? We talked about Lois here. Well, you yeah, know? More, Lois was a high point yeah. for me. But anyway. Um, I mean, I felt like there was literally more characterization for the nameless colonel who was like, I guess we're, we don't know if he's a bad guy, let's shoot him anyway, and at the end was like, oh, we like Superman. Like, I felt like he got more characterization and we know more about who he was but a person you know what? than Superman. I will say this. It's very hard to do anything with Superman. And what? like Richard Donner in the first Superman yeah. Christopher Reeve movie yeah. did a great job I, with that. I will say that it's... While it may be hard to make him too complex, it's not that hard to at least give a sense of him as a person. Right. I did not get any sense of him as a human being. I didn't even know what his speech patterns were like. Because basically... That's true. He only a, said like three he words in the whole thing. Like, yeah, like he true. spent the first half of the movie as a really polite Wolverine. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> come on! <laughs> the scene, I mean, the That's great. And as I said, was some of the best in the movie. And I really did think you got a sense of the character. I, both from, um, uh, from I, I hardly the scenes disagree. in Smallville... Uh, you know, I thought Kevin Costner was fine, although I don't. I do think this whole the, his whole take of like you can never ever do anything uh, to reveal yourself, including save my life. Uh, spoiler uh, that you know I did think that was kind that of that was dumb. Well, what made it extra dumb was that he was like you can't reveal anything until it's the right time. I won't tell you when the right time is, but when it's the right time, then it'll be great and kittens and roses. And I was like. Like, I, I think, spoiler alert, saving all these people was a valid time to use his powers, Daddy Ken. Yeah, I, I really to save your father's life is a really good time to decide time that you got your powers. To figure something out. Yeah, and there's a tournament. doing it all, all these other times anyway. Like, there, uh, was, there was a point where he was like, where Clark was like, did you mean that I shouldn't save all these people in unspecified, non-spoilery situation? And he was like, well, maybe you shouldn't. And, and I was like, oh, what? Come on. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was come on. Uh, profoundly dumb. 
Um, Lois, Wait, I think. Oh. Let's jump to Lois. Let's talk a little bit about Lois. I, I this actually is a key like Lois. Figure. Yeah, I, I yeah we all like Lois. Like However, I really don't think the best way to... I mean, I like presenting her as a ballsy reporter, but I do think, I mean... Most reporters are not going to go to some situation where they alienate all of the people immediately off the bat that mm-hmm. they've got. Well, oh, yeah. Well, Calvin, yeah, you got a little... Sorry, like, you I'm know, a reporter, well, so it's sort of a goal. The way I read it, I mean, I felt like this was untrue to human nature, but I think what the scriptwriters were going for was that they were like, we're going to be macho at you. And she was like, I'm going to be macho at you back. And as soon as she, like, used a curse word, then they all kind of smiled and were like, oh, she's one of us. And, like, so I, I don't think it was meant that she was supposed to be alienating them. They were just working on some no, model just, of human nature that doesn't actually work. Yeah, I just work. thought it was a sort of a hand-handed like, entry. And yeah, later uh, on, she turns back into damsel in distress. Well, she so. didn't turn it. I mean, like, okay, here's my argument. I would say that, like, being incapable of fighting Kryptonians does not make you a damsel in distress when you're a human being. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, they killed all... I mean, they, they the, all the generals and everybody they smashed and, and, into yeah. as well. So, and yeah. they didn't all make it, so... Yeah. So, I mean, that and not being able to stand up to the entire might of the entire U.S. Army and FBI does not make you a damsel But, you know, Lois was able to put on her coveralls at the end and help save the world, you know? Yeah, so actually, they were like, here's your world-saving coveralls, Lois. Let's well, get them on. Furthermore, um, I will say that, boiler alert... A certain computer program, and Lois had as much to do with saving the world as Clark. Yes, that's so. True. You know, I mean, I felt like I felt like there was sufficient Lois for a movie that was about Superman. Now, you know, if I can just jump in here, though, I I, I agree. I like I'm that. not disagreeing with you, you guys. I I mean, Man of Steel is not a film that I'm going to you know fight to the death i mean i enjoyed what the parts i enjoyed of it but i understand the weaknesses you're talking about i will say yes the whole scene with uh when pa can't sacrifice himself is weak but you know what the story was about was about superman and his two dads you had his kryptonian dad who put all, who said son you have to save our people this is it you are the savior of our people to the point that i put a codex in you so it sounds really nice <laughs> a codex? Uh, codex a codex excuse me um so you know whereas his other dad is like son you are feared by these people you need to hide yourselves and you know yeah. don't even save them because they're more of a danger to you so, I mean, which dad was right, you know? And then uh, Russell Crowe, dad from Krypton, got to come back and look sad and fold his arms a lot. So, um, you know. And, uh, well, and, But, I mean, and, that's what it was about. And, I, I, you know, Zod represented uh, the Kryptonian side yeah. mixed with the Earth side to make a really potent brew that was <laughs> destroying true. buildings. True. Yeah. Well, but, what I mean, about but, the major change I, of character at the end? Do well, we, should okay. we, we have to say Okay, okay. I, I will say... That I don't know, if, like how spo- we we just got pretty spoilery about two minutes ago. Um, You're not going to listen to this unless you saw Man of Steel. So okay, um, I will say that it was not, in fact, a major character change of character from the comics. <gasps> because how could you say? Because that? in the actual comics, he actually did kill Zod once. Did he really? Yeah. I and some other that. Kryptonians, too. He felt really, really bad about it. <laughs> and uh, I think Zod came back due yeah. to hand wave, hand wave comics. But uh, at mm-hmm. the time, he was under the impression that he had killed Zod. Right. And he would have done it. And he felt bad about it, but he did it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, although well, whether that was the part of him out of, like, all the comics ever that you would choose to highlight in this movie... Well, you know what? Let me. Let me. I don't have a huge problem with them doing it. I'm I'm more curious about people's reactions. Let me jump in here for a moment because now I think we need to talk a little bit about the context. Because along with Man of Steel's box office triumph and the fact that the movie is a success, it's already made four hundred billion dollars, four hundred million, pardon me, worldwide. Um, still, it managed to destroy uh, Warner Studios. 
Um, or they were destroyed already. And, you know, after Man of Steel. Now, I heard what at the premiere. Hear? Well, I read, actually. But did <laughs> you know at the premiere that Jeff Robinoff, the president of Warner Brothers Studios, was there and had to leave 15 minutes afterwards because he was so disconnected and felt so left out of everything going on. It was really sad. Um, okay. And apparently <laughs> this was a thing that was happening. Uh, and then Robinoff didn't even get a call from Kevin Sujahara, his boss, to say congratulations on the success. So, you know, it's like Gossip Girl gone, Warner Brothers. Yeah, I mean, like basically, Robinaw, there has been turmoil at Warner Brothers. A new head, Kevin Sujahara, who has already gotten rid of Bruce Rosenblum, who was the head of TV, who was widely, widely loved and thought to be, a, you know, responsible for things like, you know, Big Bang Theory, a couple of minor hits like that. Um... And Robinoff, who ran the studio, which again, only things like uh, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, uh, Batman. I mean, just nothing big, nothing big, nothing big. Uh, You know, now he's gone, too. So he left and saying, uh, I'm done. You know, if you're not going to talk to me uh, at the movie premiere, I I, I don't want to be at a part of a place like this. Uh, so in the meantime, Legendary, the financing company that has uh, co-produced Batman and Superman is also leaving Warner Brothers. So basically, you have a complete shambles there right now. And, uh, and then nobody... like the you know, metropolis at the end of the uh, Yes, yeah. it does. And, and yes. Legendary doesn't just bring money to the table. <laughs> Legendary has some uh, very tight producing relationships with a lot of really great directors who are, yeah. Yeah. you know, probably will not be as hooked in to Warner Brothers right. after Right. Well, we'll see what happens. It's kind of like, Calvin, you just nailed it. It's a big mess. It's it's, yes. it's lying in rubble right now. And, um, you know, Kevin Sujahara has never actually been a hands-on creative guy, so a lot of people are yeah. questioning that. Um and right. legendary. Meanwhile, Pacific Rim is coming out in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward. Now to that. You, you know what, Kate? Ever since you're saying that, and like every story I've read is about how this movie is going to be a flop because no one wants to see it, and yet everyone I know has been waiting for it with bated breath. I yeah, think this is myself. one of those things where the press gets an idea in its head about what's a hit and what isn't, and starts. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. I'd like to say I've learned more about Warner Brothers in the last three minutes than I have ever known before. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or cared to know. Oh, uh, let me yeah, say right. this uh, just very quickly, though. Uh, just I don't know, mm-hmm. like this specific rim. Uh, is it the press, or is it maybe somebody trying to uh, plant it. a story about that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, more to come on that. Right. Dun, 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 conspiracy right. theory. Uh, well, it's a hugely successful movie, and so there's going to be more to come on that. On, on that series. All right. News briefs. News briefs. In the 33rd issue of this year's Shonen Jump, there will be the beginning of the first new long-form manga from Kira Toriyama, creator of Dragon Ball, in over a decade. His last long-form work was a one-volume called Sand, which came out in 2000. And his new one is Galaxy Patrol Jaco. Uh, we don't know anything about it beyond the fact it's called Gal- Galaxy Patrol Jaco, but do we, we, know <laughs> do, we need, do we need to know anything more? I, I, I'm on board. Galaxy Quest Jaco. I expect there'll be a fight in it. Somewhere. Galaxy <laughs> Patrol, Akira Toriyama. Yeah, I'm sold. Right. Toriyama's one of the all-time great creators, so this is huge yes, news. Is. Jim Carrey has gone public on the internet saying that he regrets making Kick-Ass 2. He says he is not ashamed of it, but, quote-unquote, I did kick ass, 
to a month before Sandy Hook, and now, in all good conscience, I cannot support that level of violence. And, well, I mean, those are his personal feelings. Yeah, personal feelings. Yeah. He, he, he apparently is a sincere supporter of gun control right yeah. you know, efforts. Uh, on the other hand, you know... <laughs> If you're acting in a movie called Kick Ass, well, I mean, yeah, I'm saying he had a change of heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he says he had a change of heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's not yeah. it. But now he's rethought his feelings on levels of violence in movies and is no longer thrilled with it. And but Mark Millar is less than thrilled with that yeah. statement. Uh, we'll well, leave I, that. I thought even I thought even Millar's statement was uh, was reserved and restrained and and acknowledged on the subject. The same things you know, that this this about could all be a big play for publicity. I mean, maybe Jim Carrey wasn't going to do publicity. Usually, when you do mm. a movie, you are locked into doing publicity uh, for it. So uh, this could be a way of getting maybe out. He just I don't, unlocked himself. Yeah, maybe he just unlocked yeah. himself. But so anyway, uh, anyway yeah. Yes. One minute. I need. Okay. Oh, okay, Heidi, that's that's quite enough. <laughs> the popular webcomic, which occasionally has been in print, well, in and out of print, Mega Tokyo, has gone on Kickstarter for its visual novel. Visual novel game. Visual novel game. And what is a visual novel game? Well, uh, basically, <laughs> it's like storytelling in vaguely game-like form. It's very popular in Japan. There's Extremely a popular variety, in Japan. a wide variety of games that basically are illustrated snatches of story that you follow, and the story has multiple, yeah, it's basically, multiple pathways that you can choose and follow based on the decisions you make in the it's game. It's basically an illustrated yeah. computerized choose-your-own-adventure. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And, um, and how much money did he raise for this game? Well, quite a bit. Well, it was a goal of $20,000, he has surpassed $135,000. He still has 24 days left to go. He may hit his joke stretch goal of $500,000. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it did happen. Mega Tokyo, if you don't know about it, is a terrific webcomic. Uh, the, the basis of it is that uh, two, uh, two American gamers, Pyro and Largo, um, they... Decide to, to go to Japan for a games convention. They end up staying there, and, 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 and the J- Japan as portrayed, or Tokyo as portrayed uh, in Mega Tokyo, is indeed like a giant video game. Uh, and they have amazing adventures there. I, I was, I've, I've been hooked on the uh, webcomic for years and years, and, and we covered a lot of it of the early days it's, of Megatokyo. It's really very popular. Yeah, it's a very popular, really well done. And really one of the earliest um, English language original English language manga yeah. it was yeah. ever yeah. yeah that really so. was successful yeah totally anyway moving right along and speaking of Japan a lost Japanese treasure has been found in a storage vault a copy of the very first long lost anime made for TV has been found and will be aired on Japanese television in July it is called it was made in 1958 it is in color it is called Magura no Abanachuru. I, I don't speak Japanese. That's as close as I can get. Adventures of a Mole. And it is about a the adventures of a multicolored mole. And it is an eight-minute cartoon. Yes, the mole decides to travel to outer space. Yeah, it's great. It's so, fantastic to go back like and... Go back and He's a singing mole in outer space. Okay. It's great to go back in time like that. And all the characters are using clamshell phones. It's, yes. Uh, you know, primitive times. All right. Well... 
More to come. More Always to come. More to oh, come. Uh, but oh, you know yes. what? You know what? We in have here. one more thing we're here. Gonna, we have take, uh, uh, here. take us out here. Actually, Kindle Worlds has launched, uh, which we talked about quite a bit. This is a licensed fanfic uh, program through Amazon, and um, I'm not sure if we mentioned it last time, but they had announced three very popular. Um, alloy properties, including Gossip Girl, uh, would be open Back, fanfic. Gossip Girl, uh, Vampire Diaries, Diaries and, and Pretty Little Liars. Pretty yes. Little Liars. Now they've added Valiant's superhero line, um, and they uh, to the fanfic program, and they launched yesterday with actual paid fanfic by professional writers, and uh, they're really promoting this. And so maybe Kate, I think you might want to read some of these. Yes, these a dramatic blurbs. Reading. Now these are what again? These are what the blurbs, blurbs. are from the writers, the professional writers who wrote the paid fanfic, yes. and how they feel about writing fanfic and being paid, paid. to do it as opposed to writing professional fiction. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was downright fly by the seat of your pants. Take chances. Go places you've never been. <laughs> fun. Carolyn Nash, writing in Archer and Armstrong. I love challenges that can take my writing in new directions, and it was a blast to write a story set in the Valiant universe with themes and characters that don't normally appear in my writing. <laughs> I also enjoyed writing from the point of view of a teen and preteen character. <laughs> Jason Starr. It's, it's like, it's things that I didn't like writing about, so that was fun to get <laughs> writing about, yeah. And Here's a particularly one enthusiastic one. One. Final one, yes. <laughs> this writing style is something I've been doing for years, so the world is very different with the ghosts and the powers. I just <laughs> dug in and hopefully did some of the writing I do best. I know I had a good time. Mel <laughs> Odin writing yeah. in Shadow Men in the Four World side. Uh, All right, well. Truly, um, this is truly. So know more is coming. Yes. Well, yeah. writing fanfic obviously really got these professional writers very excited. Yes, so sure did. Apparently. <laughs> all right. Well, more to come, folks. And now play us out, Heidi. Oh wait, hold on. Heidi, Here we go. Yes. Superman and Zod will take us out. <laughs>